Welcome to a conversation powered by Connected Learning, where we chat with some of today's leading minds about new learning approaches designed for the demands and opportunities of the digital age. Connected Learning values the new ways many young people today access information, gain expertise, and learn alongside peers and mentors using the internet, social networks, and digital technology. We're excited you're here to join the conversation as we seek to make learning relevant. Hello, this is Tara Tiger-Brown, Technical Director for the Connected Learning Alliance. Today, we're talking with Constance Steinkuhler about Connected Learning, specifically her experience with and insights on game learning. Hi, Constance. Hi, Tara. How are you today? I am great. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I took a look at uh, all your bios, so I thought we, we just condensed them, and I'm going to introduce you, uh, and hopefully I get it all right. Uh, so Constance is an associate professor in digital media at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. She co-directs the Games Learning Society Center at the Wisconsin Institute of Discovery and chairs their annual conference. Uh, from 2011 to 2012, she served as senior policy analyst in the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy, where she advised on national education in initiatives related to games. Did I miss any key points, Constance? No, that's plenty. Thank you. <laughs> okay, wonderful. It sounds much more fabulous, probably, uh, in the abstract than in the practice. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds fantastic to me. Um, okay, so I'm going to jump into the questions here. Um, so I think one that was really interesting to our team um, was a statement that you made, which was that uh, video games are like Trojan horses for interest-driven learning. And we're wondering if you can explain that a little bit. Sure. Um, yeah. So, you know, in the general public, obviously, you know, you and I both work in digital media, but video games in particular are seen as sort of a problematic medium for the very, uh, for the very ways in which they are so deeply engaging. Um, you know, we don't talk about addiction to books. We don't talk about addiction to YouTube. We talk about addiction to video games. And one reason for that is that video games and the communities that play them, and every title has its own fandom community, um, but they are incredibly well designed for um, engaging, for first peaking interest, then, in, you know, sort of engaging the player, um, and then maintaining that engagement over time. Um, if you step back and look at it, you know, what a game designer actually does is um, really designs for this, uh, this sort of sweet spot of both uh, challenging work and complex work, but also maintaining player engagement, which sometimes people call flow in certain states, et cetera. So what's so interesting about games to me, you know, I, I like to think that some of the work that we do around games is really applicable to digital media much more broadly. But one reason I really like video games in particular is that interest and engagement are up front and center and not um, after the fact secondary or seen as something that you can just simply add to a particularly designed curriculum, et cetera. Um, and I think in that way, you know, games really are a Trojan horse for interest-driven learning because you can, um, uh, you know, you can end up engaging players in a level of complicated and sophisticated problem solving without, uh, and content learning as a byproduct of it, um, without really the player ever thinking about their play as learning. You know, it's a space in which pleasure and, and learning are synonymous. 
That's really interesting. Um, I was watching an interview that you did with the DMR Research Hub, and you said that instead of treating kids' interests as a means towards your educational goals, trying to treat your educational materials as a means towards their goals. And so I just, I thought that that was uh, an interesting way to approach things in that, in fact, you know, uh, I mean, you're talking about games, but interest in general, you know, how can we appeal to kids based on things they actually care about? Um, so I'm wondering, what are some of the good approaches to game-based learning in the classroom? Two really interesting topics that you raised. I mean, first, it's sort of a mouthful to talk about interest or educational, you know, education as a means toward kids' goals. But frankly, all of the work around um, civic engagement, uh, courses that are much more project-based, teachers and designers already know this, right? That, um, you know, if you step back and even look at, say, community organizing, uh, community organizing starts with the question of going to a community and asking the community, what do you want to accomplish? And you start with that goal in mind, and then all of the other work is dovetailed toward that goal. Um, and to me, that's really powerful learning, and it's learning that is, um, it, you not only get engagement and you can get buy-in from the very beginning, but it's actually meaningful or what, you know, earlier decades called sort of authentic learning where you're not talking about doing work that's merely for assessment. You're talking about doing work that is connected deeply to the lived lives of the learners, whether it's their, you know, community defined in terms of their household, their neighborhood, their city, their state, or their country, or their or the world, right? Um, so, so I think that it's really easy sometimes for us to get into this rut where we think that we are good educators if we set a whole bunch of goals uh, rather than thinking about letting kids define goals and we're supposed to be, um, you know, the facilitators of meaning making in their lives. Mm-hmm. So that's part of what I think um, was a lesson learned around some of the game-based curricula that we did. And the reason we learned that lesson was because we came in thinking, oh, hey, we're going to use the game as a, as a hook to get you doing literacy and to get you doing mathematics and to get you doing scientific forms of reasoning. And, you know, um, it was a logical, it was a logical way to, to go when you see what kids are doing in their play spaces and you realize that like, wow, they're actually leveraging, let's just take mathematics. They're actually engaging in a form of mathematizing their world. that's super complex, really interesting and important and grounded in stuff that's meaningful to them and makes sense to them, which is not easy to pull off in math sometimes. Right. Um, so it's very easy to then right. pivot and say, well, let's use those same game-based environments to get them to, to leverage those environments to get them doing that kind of mathematics. And there's a logic to that, right? But the thing that we found out was that until we let go of setting the goals themselves, um, it becomes, uh, it, it, it's, it's still not, we're only halfway there. So in our case, it was a, it was a, a situation where we were running programs that, you know, were sort of using games to get to, um, these byproducts of other forms of learning. But until we finally realized that we needed to put the kids first and let them define the goals, and that some of those goals need to be things like, um, you know, engaging in forms of play that we didn't already prescribe from the very beginning. And that was a huge lesson for us. And it, uh, it, took, some, it, it took some courage, I think, for us to let go of the reins in that way. Uh, but when we did and we stepped back and sort of let them drive while we sort of resourced and enabled them, we found that we covered uh, a tremendous amount of so-called content 
for free just by following their interests and really, um, you know, sort of enabling their interest and pushing it toward a, a higher level of sophistication. Like, um, in terms of, you know, learning outcomes from playing video games and saying, look, you're actually, you know, these are the skills and the literacies that come out of this. Like, where are we at with that? You know, and I'm thinking in terms of, you know, parents and, and educators who maybe don't have that mindset and don't necessarily know what the learning outcomes are. We've now had several meta-analyses in our field around what are the data on games, and yet despite findings that, you know, have basically um, demonstrated that uh, games fare far better than traditional materials um, and that you can break it out down by subdomain so you can think about games for what, right? You know, talking about games is a bit like talking about TV. It just sort of matters what content. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of hard to do analyses that way. But even if you do these meta-analyses, you find that, in fact, yes, games actually perform better um, for learning than other forms of traditional content. And by that, I mean things like textbooks, et cetera. But the real, you know, the real rubber hits the road when we talk about, you know, what kind of games and what kind of context for what goals. So what you see are some really sort of uh, consistent trends where games for language learning, for example, are really super powerful. You find big effects there. Even when your game was designed, say, for mathematics understanding, you'll find that um, a byproduct is a development of vocabulary and academic language. You know, games are just like any other um, media or any other uh, educational material. There's lots of different ways to leverage them in the classroom. I mean, you have scholars um, like Dan Schwartz who've done incredible work looking at how um, games and simulations before getting even like a directed lecture on a topic, um, you see huge rise in, uh, in understanding. So if you, you know, one way to think about games is to leverage games Uh, before you start doing more didactic type work or more sort of text-based work as as an anchor, as giving kids an experience with the data or an experience with the phenomenon so that when they go to read the text, there's something for them to relate that text back to. There's a situated understanding. Um, Also, we've been um, including Minecraft in some of um, our uh, mentor matching uh, with the Connected Learning Alliance work, and it's amazing, like, how many different uh, skills and just that come out of playing Minecraft. Like some kids, you know, they'll learn about programming. And then there are some kids that I guess there's some science involved in, you know, crafting fireworks and thinking about electronics with, you know, and it's just like, wow, like I had no idea. And it's so curious. Like it seems like there's games out there where the designers, you know, had no idea what the, you know, what the possibilities, um, you know, could, where were. And I'm just wondering, are there, were there any games that in your research where you're really surprised by, you know, what the kids were learning from them? Yeah, I think Minecraft, I mean, Minecraft is such a singular example, right? First, the uptake, given that, you know, this isn't some high 3D graphical game. It's not some huge download or purchase, and yet it is proliferated across so many communities, and it's a terrific game. But it's a, it's a great example of a game that really is like a set of Legos and not um, a Harry Potter book, right? Mm-hmm. So that it is much more, uh, you can build worlds within it. It's much more of a tool set 
and a simulation than it is a simulation of a certain sort um, mm. uh, than it is, say, a narrative-based game. Now, the obvious, you know, sort of the obvious parallels here is that you would expect then a lot more sort of engineering, science, math, et cetera, to go on in a world that's more simulation-based, like a Minecraft, and more literacy work to go on in a world like. Um, uh, more of a narrative-driven world, so more of a role-playing game like a Bastion or, a, you know, um, another role-playing game that may be more content-driven or school content-focused. But it's always interesting, too, that, um, you know, um, we can never underestimate the creativity of players and how they actually play their games. So, you know, on the one hand, you'll have, like, World of Warcraft, which is a very social, but very sort of narrative role-playing game, and yet you have high-end theory crafting around that game that turns it into a task of engineering. And on the same, on the other end, you have Minecraft, where people are using Minecraft as a vehicle to generate stories and to instantiate stories for each other. So um, one nice thing about video games is that unlike, say, a video or a, a you know a TV series even which, by the way, I love film and I love TV. Um, but there, you know, you have a, a, a designer and an author who crafts something and hands it over for interpretation for the community. In a game, in a game you know, the, what the game is about, what traversal, what sort of play progression you do in the game is up to the player. So it really is much more co-written between a designer and a, a player or better yet a community of players it's interesting where you know there's some parents who seem you know okay with their kids playing video games and for whatever reason that is and then there's the parents and you know educators and even school administrators who think of them more as distracting or time wasting and can you speak a little bit to you know um, what advice you might have for those folks that you know don't believe that they're a good uh, use of kids' time, and, and maybe also, like, wh why is there a difference between those parents that are okay with it and parents that aren't? Yeah, that's that's a really great question. Um, I think my first piece of advice was, you know, uh, play thinking about engaging even for 20 minutes in a variety of different titles. I think oftentimes that stems from um, misconceptions about what games are, um, you know, the games that, you know, I'm a parent of a four and a six-year-old, and frankly, we regulate screen time in terms of TV and film, which I love, but as far as games go, that does not count toward their screen time. It's a very different form of screen time, so we don't even count that in. But I do understand, um, you know, if you're an educator in a classroom or if you're a parent and, you know, let's say you have certain goals that you've set that you want of where you want your kids, you know, what you want your kids engaging with, um, I understand that, you know, if you're not familiar with games, you have this old school notion of what games are about. You think they're about Miss Pac-Man, which Miss Pac-Man is awesome, but that's not where games are at now. Um, I think that, that once you increase literacy about the medium, uh, these questions kind of go away. Because first, number one, uh, you know, you're able to get beyond the idea that there are that all games are of one ilk or another, right? Some games uh, are hard waste of time, and frankly, <laughs> I have deleted, for example, Candy Crush from my phone so frequently, <laughs> and then actually end up putting it back on, and then I'm like, you know, 10, 20 hours in, going, oh, I'm deleting this again, <laughs> you know. And so I, you know, I have a love hate uh, feeling. I have a love hate relationship with that game in particular. But I mean to say, you know, there are games that 
you know, that are are meant to be nothing but, you know, eye candy and fun and games that are more uh, engaging in different ways. And, and there's a place for all of them. But, you know, even, even teachers or parents that are held up as, um, you know, um, as misguided because they want to use games as a reward, you know, there's, there's a place for that too. I mean, it depends on what your goals are. But number one, the first misconception is that all games are of a certain sort, that all games are like Candy Crush, or worse, that all games are first-person shooters, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The second one is that, you know, um, there's uh, an illiteracy in terms of playing different types of games, and understanding that there are some games that you can play for 15 minutes and accomplish something meaningful and fun and interesting, right? There are other games that require more of an hour type investment. And then there are games that, you know what, you get the big payoff when you've played it like Civilization over many rounds over a lot of time um, and sort of understanding expectations in that way. But um, I think the word game has tripped people up in the past because um, you know, there was just a lot of illiteracy with what games were. I have to say, too, that if there's one thing that has totally changed um, public understanding of games, as much as I would love to say it's academic work, just like mine, mm-hmm. that's actually not true. It's that games now have proliferated across mobile devices, and now what you have are um, moms and grandmothers and fathers and grandfathers and kids of all different types playing games that are of all different types. So now this notion of gamers versus non-gamers is just silly because even my, you know, even my mother and I will play Facebook games together. It's a nice way to hang out and just have small ways to sort of do some parallel play. Um, And I think that that has changed the conversation because it has helped people realize that games are just another medium like television. And on the one hand, that means it has a lot of potential for both um, great and glorious and amazing things, not just learning, but art and political commentary and just wonderful lofty stuff. It also means it has a lot of space for, you know, uh, silliness and, uh, you know, games that I think I don't like the messages of. And, you know, it runs the full gamut just the same way that television would be. Do you have any um, advice for parents in terms of how they might choose games that they feel comfortable with for their kids to play or should it just be whatever their kids want to play? Yeah, I get this question a lot and it's funny. um, You know, Common Sense Media does some really nice work giving ratings of games, which I think are helpful. But the industry itself has really, uh, in, in my opinion, let us down. So, you know, games on consoles have a solid rating system there's a known sort of self-regulatory function in the games industry um, for, you know, rating the content in terms of its maturity, um, violence, sex, et cetera. But number one, we don't have any consistent rating system for education that's reliable, trustworthy, and accepted by everybody. Um, Number two, on the app stores, which is where a lot of games are getting downloaded, um, the rating systems are wholly broken and do not follow ESRB so that, you know, the the rating system on all of our sort of uh, mobile device games is just utterly broken. And honestly, we ought to pressure industry to shape up and do a better job with their rating system. Um, but the one thing I would say as parents is um, 
is play with your kids. When you read across a lot of the studies and a lot of the findings, what you'll start to see is a pattern where um, it certainly is true that the content of what's on TV matters, but the conversation on the couch is your biggest effect variable. So, you know, it's one thing, like if you look at Sesame Street, one thing that's so great about Sesame Street is that it has in a level of humor and jokes that keep that care provider on the couch next to the kid. Mm-hmm. And your biggest intervention is actually that conversation that's happening around the media. I wanted to switch gears just a tiny little bit, just to focus on a couple of questions around connected learning specifically. Um, uh, one way that uh, we introduce connected learning to people is to say that it builds on the education basics, uh, those three R's of reading, writing, and arithmetic, by introducing a fourth R, relevance. Uh, making learning in the classroom relevant to life outside of it. And so why do you feel this need for relevance is so important for youth? Yeah, it's the great irony, isn't it? I mean, um, the fact that we would have to justify relevance, it's just crazy to me, right? (laughs) I mean, it really is. You know, I've spent my career looking at um, things like what are the best means for teaching X, Y, and Z, for teaching, for increasing literacy, for increasing mathematic understanding, scientific reasoning, et cetera. And yet the big question that looms over everyone is why are we teaching this content in the first place? Um, So it is sometimes just deeply ironic to me that we have conversations about, for example, when it comes to games, we have these conversations over and over about, yeah, but how does game play? They're doing all this sophisticated stuff in their at-home lives, out-of-school lives, but how does it pay off in school? And you're like, you know what? School is supposed to pay off in their actual lives. So it is deeply ironic that we have to talk about relevance as though it needs justification, when relevance is actually the critique and challenge of all of these standards in the first place. That is fantastic. And sadly, we've come to the end of our conversation. I can't believe already the time and looking at it going, that can't possibly be true. Um, But but I wanted to see um, if there is anything that you'd like to plug, whether it's an event, a project, a publication, and then also um, how folks can connect with you online. Well, we've got our conference on games coming up uh, in June. And then some of the work that I'm doing now is more focused on neuro, the neuroscience of attention and games and empathy and other human wonderful constructs to build community. So keep your eyes out. We definitely will. And we'll include any links um, to, to your work and the conference. And at a personal level, I grew up as a, a gamer. I was the only girl. And so I'm very excited for this generation to have all these fantastic games available to them and then also being recognized that being a gamer, you know, there's actually things that they're learning from playing games. So it's an exciting time that we're in and I appreciate all of your work. Um, Absolutely. (laughs) So thank you so much for letting me chat. Yeah. Thank you so much and have a good one. Thanks for joining us here at the Connected Learning Alliance. If you missed any of this conversation or want to listen to more discussions, check out our website at clalliance.org or subscribe to our podcast channel on iTunes. See you back here for more talks with change makers and thought leaders who are building the next generation of learning.